0: Hello everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Indigo Kingdom. Um, My name is Hannah and welcome to this podcast. Um, Today we're going to be talking about something a little bit different. Um, I've been wanting to focus more on things that interest me, um, that I don't really get to talk about with a lot of people, um, just because people I don't know Um, might not be interested in them or um, don't research them, don't have a lot of knowledge in these areas um, just because they have knowledge in other areas, you know? Um, I'm very deeply interested in, um, like, the kind of dark side of life, I suppose you could say. I'm very interested in cults. I'm very interested in the occult, I'm very interested in um, demons and or things that are demonic, um, not necessarily that I'm interested in them being brought into my own life, but I'm interested in the the world surrounding all things that are kind of dark, um, whether this is actual stuff like demons or things that are considered like a cult, so uh, tarot, um, tarot cards, um, I'm very into uh, witchcraft um, and stuff like that, Uh, it's just something that's always been interesting to me Um, and I don't think I get to talk about it that much which is quite sad because I find it very interesting. um, that could be a lot to do with my Scorpio placements, I have a Scorpio moon, um, uh, and it affects me quite heavily, um, but yeah, these are just some of my interests, and so for the past, like, month or so, I want to say, I've been working on, um, this cult, um, that I've been looking into, and it's quite a famous cult, um, It is more well-known than um, some other cults, I suppose. Um, There are quite a few documentaries on it, um, and there have been books written on it. Um, uh, Some of them which I read, or um, some of them which I read sections of, if they only had sections of um, the cult in it. And uh, I've written about 7,000 words on this cult, which is a lot for me. Uh, This is the most effort I've put into one of these podcasts. And this is the most effort I've sort of put into one particular topic. Um, You know, looking at one particular person, looking at one particular theme or one particular cult. It's kind of the first thing um, that I've done like this and I'm really excited about it, um, and I kind of had a lot of ups and downs with it, a lot of time thinking, oh, um, what's the point in actually posting this, um, you know, this information can be found everywhere, there's already podcasts on it, um, and stuff like that, but, um, you know, I was, thank I was thankfully reminded by people that, what I may find on this situation, others may not, and I might bring a new perspective and a new, um, voice to it. So I decided to go ahead and do it, and, um, I took it very seriously. And at first, when I decided to talk about this cult, I probably made, like, five or six pages of notes, um based off of a documentary and um, some reading of a book written by the daughter of the founder of the cult Um, and as I started reading this I started getting more in depth with it and the time limit I sort of set myself to on publishing um, what I had found. And recording this podcast I just couldn't stick to because there was so much to this and it was going to require a lot more of my determination and a lot more of my motivation which um, has been lacking recently um, I think due to the whole kind of political climate of the world and things being very heavy in energy right now. You know, a lot of planets have gone into retrograde. I don't know too much about astrology, like I stated before, but I do know that around retrogrades, energy can be messed up. And I'm aware that Venus is in retrograde. We're in Mercury shadow period retrograde. And I believe Saturn and Jupiter are also in retrograde at this time. So things are um, a little bit more unconventional. And things can sort of occur... um, at a pace that makes things trickier, I suppose. Um, or, that's ex- or that's what I've been experiencing. And so um, it's taken me a hot minute to actually be able to find the time where I wanted to sit down and talk um, for a long period of time and to talk about a topic that is also really heavy. Um, there is so much going on in the world right now, um, with this whole Black Lives Matter movement, which is so important, so important for our society, and so important if we're ever going to advance anywhere as a world, um, you know, it's just, like, the most fundamental change that we need to bring to our society at the moment, and so much energy and time, um, has been going into making this, um, a really powerful moment, you know, we're seeing a lot more people come together, we're seeing a lot more change, um, specifically where I live in Bristol, we had, um, the Black Lives Matter protest in which Edward Colston, um, a slave owner, um, his statue was torn down rightfully, it was spray-painted, it was defaced, it was rolled through our streets, people knelt on it for eight minutes, um, and, you know, we threw it into the river. I didn't personally, but the city of Bristol, and the people who lived there, and the black members, and the white members, everybody came together. And through the, the the statue in Bristol, the police did nothing to stop it. They did nothing, which as they should do nothing. And in the news, they stated that they agreed with the actions that had, that had been taken. You know, um, at the same time, during around um, this happening a few days before, there was a petition going around to get rid of the, um, statue anyway, and, you know, it's at times like these when we actually see the power that the people have, and the power that the people can bring, because although this may seem like, um, a small action, it can create a huge ripple effect, and I think that's very exciting, um, devastating that it's had to come to it, and devastating that it's been so many years of pain and suffering and so many years of discrimination and so many years of just disgusting behaviors from the police from law officials from the government you know um it's so disgusting that we still have to live um that people have to live to the consequences of this that black people have to face the consequences of this you know um but it's so important and it's such an important movement um I will be leaving links um, to petitions to sign and links for places that you can donate money to because you know, it's about time we start donating money um, to um, causes that can help the fight against racism. It's about time that we really try and stand up and bring about some change in all societies across the whole world. Um, so if you're looking for any resources of ways to help Um, I will leave those available to you, and I also recommend you watching documentaries such as 13th. It's an amazingly powerful documentary, you can find it on Netflix or YouTube, Um, and there are many books like The New Jim Crow, um, and many others I personally need to read and um, find access to myself. Um, And I will leave a list of those, and I will leave whatever I can find. For you to help educate yourself just as I need to help educate myself even deeper into this situation. Um, So we all know that this is a crazy time. And we all know that this is a very powerful time. um, And um, the only way we can actually really enact any change is if we all come together. um, Which is going to be super vital. Um, And we can't let this just be another... Couple of months that people tried to fight back and failed. We need to make sure that this is the revolution and this is the end. We need to all come together and make sure that we change the world from today, you know. Um, because humanity has gotten away from how to be human, I think. Humanity's gone so far, gotten so far removed of what it means to be caring, what it means to care about one another, you know, um, and we see this everywhere, we see children being hurt and kidnapped and, uh, go missing, like with this whole Hillary Clinton, um, with the emails, um, you know, um, I don't know too much about that yet. I haven't fully educated myself on the issue. I've only seen briefly that there were thousands and thousands of emails, um, the ones that went missing or whatever happened with her emails, um, that she's currently in trial for because they contain um, sexual harm to children or um, talking about, you know sexual harm to children which is just disgusting and we're so desensitized to it we're so expecting of it that a part of us a part a lot of people may feel tired to outrage and um you know, that's understandable. Of course people are tired of outrage, of being outraged about things that they've been outraged about for years and years and years. You know, obviously people are tired because people are seeing the pain and they're seeing the suffering and every now and then people talk about it but it always just gets swept under the rug of course people are tired and that's why we all need to come together and propel each other forward and use our energy as a collective we're so much stronger as a collective than we are as an individual an individual can only have so much reach it's when we use our powers as a collective and we come together that we can sort out real change you know um yeah and i think that's just so important um and all of this was happening and my podcast didn't seem so important because it wasn't important you know um it is definitely an important topic and it is something that is very interesting and it is something that shouldn't be forgotten um and it is something that i do think um people can learn about and it's good to remember because it's a part of history but um, I also think it's important to recognise when history is being made in front of you and when it's time for you to stop kind of looking at the past and focus on what you want the future to be like and see that around you things are rapidly changing and there's gonna be a new, we're gonna have to get used to a new normal, you know, after coronavirus Um, and hopefully, um when we can have a complete discussion about the restructural of our society, the restructural of our government, the restructural of everything, which is what what we need as a as a as a united globe. Um <laughs> I've lost track of what I was gonna say, I'm not gonna lie. Um but the whole point is it it I I need I needed to step away from this. Because focus was required elsewhere. Um, but I came back to it. And um, yeah, tonight seemed like a good, great night to just talk about it. Because um, within my personal life, um, I'm in need of change. And I'm in need of stepping into my skin a bit more. And I figured that me showing you... Or me showing the internet, showing the world... Um, something that I'm very interested in something that I've spent a great amount of time on and research on um, is an amazing way to do that and you know um, I hope it teaches you guys something new um, so yeah, let's get into it grab yourself a cup of tea some water, a snack, whatever you need to feel comfortable um, because this podcast uh, will be focusing on the children of God cult okay, um, it's it could be a bit heavy um, for a lot of people, um, it was a cult founded by David Berg in 1968, and it will ha- uh, focus heavily on this founder, David Berg. Okay, so let's get into it. This cult is still around today, um, however, it's now heavily internet-based, and I believe... They have now changed their name to The Family International or The Family Um, and Karen Zerby is their leader who was once married to David Berg. So this is all information I have found via documentaries and on the internet, um, in books online um which I've all compiled into one big fact sheet which I'm going to use to record this podcast. I apologize for any inaccuracy, inaccuracies um, I've done my best to fact check all of my information before recording this and it's important that I note that in this podcast there will be themes of sexual abuse, psychological trauma, spiritual mind control and other forms of abuse um, so if this is something that could trigger you, uh, listener discretion is advised, um, you know, listen with caution or don't listen at all. <laughs> um, so David Berg, uh, the founder of this cult, was born on February 18th in 1919 in Oakland, California. Um, his mother was Virginia Brantberg, and his father was Halmer uh Emmanuel Berg, I think that's how you say his name. It's H J A L M E R Holmer, I think. Um, and he started the Children of God cult in 1968. David Berg uh went under a lot of aliases at this time, um, such as Moses David. Um, he also went as dad, daddy, and grandfather. Yeah, so he was born into a family with rich Christian heritage, which going far back as 1860, his grandfather, John Lincoln Brandt, was a preacher at the age of 24 and was the leader of the Alexander Campbell movement, also known as the Disciples of Christ. So this was a restoration movement that developed into mainline Protestant church denomination in the US and Canada with around 380,000 members as of 2018. So his grandfather, hugely influential in Christianity, hugely influential in Protestantism still to uh, around this day. His mother, Virginia Brantberg travelled with her father, John, uh, when she was a child, due to him being a popular lecturer. And she became the field secretary for the Na- National Cretenton Mission, which helped to reform prostitutes and unwed pregnant women by giving them a place to live and to learn new skills. She quickly became one of the mission's most diligent workers in the mission. And um, in the inside story by Deborah Davis, who is David Berg's uh, daughter, which a lot of this, um, a lot of the information I have gathered from that book, um, it said that Virginia became paralysed from the waist down after giving birth and for five years she said she was in awful agony, suffering, um, awful agony, suffering and heartbreak, sorry, due to her back being broken in two places. Um, and having crushed vertebrae that was pressing on the spinal cord. By the end of these five years, Virginia reportedly only weighed 78 pounds. She was unconscious most of the time, and it was looking like she would die. Um, It is said that she was prayed for constantly over the years, and one morning she woke up miraculously and had recovered. She was able to walk the very next day, Um, which was just a miracle Um, after this Virginia and Helmer ended up breaking away from the disciples of Christ as they did not believe in faith healing or women preachers and they began working on their own as evangelists who would encourage others that God could heal them as God healed her okay Uh, Christian evangelists are preachers so this is what they moved into so um, they are preachers and they believe that Bible is the word of God um, and it cannot and will not and just is not wrong um, and they believe the only way to salvation is through Jesus so due to this they spend much of their lives trying to convert people um, through missionary work trying to spread the word of God um, throughout the entire world um, and when david berg was born he actually spent his early years traveling with his parents around america um where his parents spent their time preaching and lecturing in multiple churches and it's said that his mother virginia had idolized david and it caused him to gain a persecution complex uh, which is an irrational feeling that other people are spying on you or trying to harm you um I sort of researched a bit into perse- persecution complex, and it almost reminded me of like um, a god complex in a way, but in a way that it's not just like um, you being super important, so people are like drawn to you, or you having this idea that you are um, godlike, you know, very powerful and. Um, narcissistic almost um or definitely quite narcissistic (laughs) um a persecution complex is kind of like um it almost reminded me of like somebody knowing that they've got power but also feeling very afraid um um that everyone is talking about them in a very negative way so instead of thinking that everybody loves them they think that people are trying to get something from them they're trying to get them and they're trying to spy on them and they're trying to um know what's in them because they have all the facts and like it's like narcissism with paranoia um that's sort of what um i get from it or what i got from david berg in his instance you know i mean it be the same for everyone with a persecution complex That's just what i took from it um In the purpose of this research, um, it comes out later that Virginia and her husband had actually lied about her being bedridden and ill for five years. And in fact, during this time, Virginia had a child. Uh, She actually had a daughter. Um, And it's not been confirmed as to why this lie was told. However, the breaking of her back is not fully falsified um she virginia was dropped from her husband's arm and her back hit the curb which broke it and she was um still giving sermons and lectures throughout the years she was supposedly ill um so back when she was supposedly ill for five years um uh it came out later that this was actually a bit of a lie um However, in 1914, she did become seriously ill after her second pregnancy irritated the effects of her previous accident. And it's arguable that David Berg had learned traits of his deceit, lying and exaggerated truth from the situation. Um, these are all things that you will see um, a- exaggerated in David Berg. Um, and it could be arguable that he learnt this directly from his parents, you know. Children are so influenced by their parents. And if um, his mum was known for being a liar about um, her being injured and about her then being healed by God, being chosen by God to be healed, you know. It's it's a very interesting thing to question. Um, you know, how much of that and how much of the responsibility of how David Berg turned out is on the parents. Um, you know, he could have learnt that it's okay to present the facts of a situation in any way that suits him and benefits him instead of the truth to every situation. Um, also, during his childhood, Berg went through many traumatic events, uh, such as being born with the flu during the Sp- Spanish influenza epidemic, having a water heater explode on his face at the age of seven, with doctors telling him he would be permanently blind, and having his foot run over by an automobile at the age of three, with doctors saying he would never walk again. It is reported by the Children of God that David Berg's family and friends prayed for him, and that's the reason he survived all these incidents without any major injuries. However, this is according to the children of God. This comes directly from the cult um, itself, so it could be factually incorrect, because there were no other recordings apart from... um, this one source that came directly from the children of god that i could find of these actually happening so it could be something that david berg lied about which is eerily similar to what happened what his mum lied about about her being ill for five years and being prayed over and being healed so perhaps he learnt that you know um in 1941 berg was then drafted into the army during world war Two. However, he was discharged because of a serious heart condition during the they, then sorry then he married Jane Miller in nineteen forty four um, and did so without informing either of their families um despite Jane Miller's Christian Baptist home background um, in which a member or one of them getting married without family permission was not acceptable. Um they just decided to did it to do it anyway. And from nineteen forty nine to nineteen fifty-one, Berg worked as a pastor of a Christian Missionary Alliance church in Valley Farms, Arizona, and Berg and Jane had two children before he went to work there. So whilst Berg worked um in Valley Farms, He developed a mistrust for the established church and was later fired from Valley Farms. Um, He stated that he was fired because he invited the Indians who lived nearby to the church, which caused the white members of the church to kick him out due to them being racist. However, there is another story that is surrounding him being fired um, this story says that he was involved in a sexual misconduct, um, in a case of sexual misconduct, sorry, and so the church kicked him out. Um, I looked for proof everywhere, and I couldn't find enough proof to determine which one was true, however, it did seem, it did seem more reliable to take the side of um, there being sexual misconduct as, um, I found that in more, um, sources than the idea of him, um, inviting, um, the Indians in that caused the white members of the church to kick him out due to them being racist. However, it could be a culmination of both things, you know. Um, but i i do I do believe that the sexual misconduct that was reported um, to have happened given the nature of who David Berg was um, but there wasn't enough proof to determine which one is officially the truth um, around this time, Berg also began to depart away from the traditional values of the church he was raised into more and more and in 1952 when he was 33 years old he met a man named Fred Jordan. Fred Jordan was the founder of the American Soul Clinic. He was the first one of the first television evangelists and Berg was said to have learned business tactics from him. Deborah Davis, David Berg's daughter, Have reports that Jordan was a huge influence on Berg's character and life. Um, Berg himself later referring to Jordan as King Saul in the Bible. Um, As in the Bible, King Saul got David started, Berg believing he was like David in the Bible who beat Goliath and soon became king after God turned on Saul. Berg was fired from uh, the soul clinic, um, and from Jordan uh from Jordan's um work in nineteen sixty seven. Virginia, his mum, had believed that Berg would follow in her father's footsteps in being an influential Christian leader. However, Berg had no job or education by nineteen sixty seven. And Berg, um as David's as Deborah Davis writes, Um, was bound in the chains of lust and immorality. From the ages of seven, Deborah had felt the fear of her father when he attempted to perform sexual acts of incest on her, causing Deborah to fear even being alone with her father. He attempted again at age 12, where she threatened to jump out a window if he touched her. He had tried to explain that he wanted Deborah to fulfil his needs that her mother couldn't. And when Berg's attempt with Deborah failed, he unfortunately moved on to his youngest child, Faith. Faith would end up travelling with Berg and Fred Jordan promoting his TV show. Unfortunately, Faith did not resist Berg's attempts. And it was revealed in 1982 that Faith had, in fact, suffered an incestuous relationship with her father. Berg had many other adulterous relationships whilst being married to Jane, and he used the Bible as some sort of malicious spellbook to justify his actions. He claimed that just as Cain, Lot, Solomon and David and Abraham had several wives and or lay with their daughters, so could Berg he would justify his sexual perversion in which he believed it was the truth through the Bible to manipulate everyone around him to fulfil his twisted sexual fantasies. Berg even forced his wife Jane into accepting these ideals, claiming she would be resisting the very counsel of God if she resisted his desires. In 1967... The Berg family were working for the Light Club and Teen Challenge, following their family's history in working as missionaries. They targeted the hippies in Huntington Beach, California. The family would sing together in a group they named Teens for Christ, and they would hand out free food and play live music. And soon enough, they were filling the Light Club with people during the weekends. By July 1968, the Berg children, Paul, Jonathan, and Faith, were leading, um, light, Were leading the Light Club mission. David Berg used the hippies that were needed, um, that needed love and direction to start his cult. As much of th- of his work was dedicated to helping the dropouts. Virginia Brantberg then later died in March of 1968. And after this, David Berg lost all sense of morality. Uh, Not that he really had (laughs) much to begin with, um, but this was around the time that his cult really started to take off. Um, It was the beginning of his cult, really. Um, And David Berg's following began to grow, and he noted how the kids who were labelled as rebellious were labelled so due due to society being inherently anti-God- Um, as he said, and he preached to them that he would lead them into the promised land. David Berg wrote about how these recruits were the true lovers of peace and love and truth and beauty and God and freedom, and how the people in the churches were afraid of them because they were speaking the truth, that David Berg was speaking the truth. Deborah Davis had said that her father, David Berg, believed he was following God during this time. She noted that his hatred and bitterness had destroyed his ability to see the error of his ways, that he was not doing this to glorify God, but merely to salvage his sin. He was rebelling against the US government and the church system, all the while preaching his gospel according to Berg. He preached that the new members had to forsake all to leave their families, jobs and lives behind and give it all up for Jesus and the cults. And the concept of forsake all became the very foundation for the beginning of what Berg called flirty fishing. Berg told his followers that unless they devoted their lives completely to the cause, their lives were a spiritual failure. Berg wrote that the teens of Christ picketed churches, jails, and schools, and that he loved it. He he wrote that he was masterminding the whole thing from behind the scenes with Jesus. And this was very typical of Berg. He often hid behind in the background, and uh, you know he ensured that there weren't many pictures or sightings of him. Um, you know he didn't want. To be in the forefront like he had like i said he had that persecution complex so if he was in the forefront um that insane kind of paranoia might overtake him but if he's hidden behind he's got a level of security that he can bend and manipulate and um hurt people with right In April 1969, David Berg instructed the Teens for Christ to leave Huntington Beach after the cult had caused upset with the local community and church. So around this time, Berg had actually started an adulterous relationship with a woman named Karen Zerby, or else known as Maria. Berg, who referred to himself as a prophet, hired Karen as his scribe and then later she became his wife. The process from scribe to wife scribe to wife, sorry, happened over six to eight years. Deborah Davis claimed that Karen also had feelings towards Jethro, who was her husband, and disturbingly Berg had Berg had written about Karen and how she looks like a little prudish church girl, but she sure doesn't taste like it. During the summer of 1969, Berg took a group of 70 followers with him to Laurentides, Canada, where he claimed um, he started to receive dramatic prophecies about his relationship with Karen. Berg referred to his time in Laurentides to be similar uh, to when Moses was up on the mountain with God. It was here that he began to formulate the plan for his cult and lay out the ground rules of how people were to behave and how it was to operate. It was here where David Berg received his old love, new love, and old church, new church revelations. The members of the cult were at this point scattered across the US, and for David Berg to reveal what prophecies he had received from God, he brought them all together in Vienna, Virginia. They had congregated in a house offered to Berg by a friend, in which people divided sleeping quarters for the girls and boys. Berg selected people to be in his council and leadership, and he claimed that the US would be destroyed via one of his prophecies due to the country's immoral behaviours. Berg enforced the fear of the end times into the members, and this caused those who would preach the message to do so with determination. Berg revealed the truth about his adulterous relationship due to growing suspicions and adultery being unacceptable among Christianity. So he had to act quickly to get most his most trusted, his family and then the rest of his followers to believe his affair was some sort of divine intervention. This session where David Berg revealed his affair was the start of this free love, free sex cult and the, the, the children of God is known to be today. Berg began his explanation by stating he never wanted to hurt anyone, especially not his dear wife. He started crying and told the group that the spirit of the Lord was moving through him, claiming it was the Lord's doing and that he never wanted this affair to happen. He played on the pity within humans, claiming he was unworthy, that he didn't understand why God chose him to bear this burden. This whole session lasted for 19 hours and the old church, new church prophecy was born. Karen was the new church, Jane being the old. This prophecy allowed for Berg to abandon and reject Jane as she represented the church in America as it already existed. A church system which David Berg believed God rejected. The prophecies that David Berg and Karen read out contained horrible things about Jane. Karen represented all things new, all the young people who were following Berg, and that would start following the children of God. Berg described Jane in these prophecies as a backsliding daughter and as utterly desolate. And it was during these prophecies that David Berg left any sign of redemption in his life. His lust and his attitude towards women had overtaken him, and there was no foreseeable way back. Jane Miller Berg, who was once named the Queen, or Mother, of the Children of God, was now being cast out of the inner circle. Karen Zerbe took the title of Queen. Berg even attacked his children, saying they do not lie with me in the bed of love, neither do they look up unto me to be guided with my eye. Berg was claiming that his children could no longer follow them unless they had succumbed to his every will. Deborah Davis remembers her and her siblings having to go forward to Berg, bow down and confess their loyalty to their father and their father alone. They had to agree with the statements that were being made about their mother or they too would be cast aside. After this session, the next day, Jane accepted what Berg had said and resumed her position as his number two. The voice of God's prophet was listened to, and everyone was happy. Berg's power was getting stronger, and he was showing to have more control over those that followed him than ever. Roy Wallace, a professor of sociology at Queen's University, had said that his influence and power comes down to one thing, charisma. Roy Wallace said that the charisma depends on having exposure, um, that the leader must be seen or heard, that there must be a constant stream towards Berg that reinforced the belief of him being a prophet. For this stream of ego boosting, Berg dismissed his immediate family from his side and replaced them with true disciples people who were manipulated so heavily that they had no choice but to be loyal to Berg, and their loyalty was measured in their level of belief that they had for Berg. Karen helped Berg to push out his immediate family, in an attempt to eradicate anyone near Berg who knew and continued to treat him as a father or husband, anything other than a prophet speaking the word of God. During this time, Berg had also fathered a son with another one of his queens, a 17-year-old named Martha. She was later passed on to another member of the cult. He would often spend his evening prophesying with Zerby, drinking a glass of wine after glass of wine, releasing the recordings as being the direct word of God. After David Berg was done with Jane, she was offered a male companion by the name of Stephen Bruce Ferguson. He was to be her mate. Later, Jane Miller would have prophecies about Ferguson that he would be Berg's successor, and Ferguson began to imitate Berg, leading to Berg referring to Ferguson as a false prophet, despite him once being one of Berg's inner circle and appointed prophets. Berg claimed that Jane had Ferguson wrapped around her finger. Deborah Davis uses an analogy of a frog being placed in a shallow pan of water to describe what it was like to be in and witness the Children of God cult. She writes that the temperature of the water is increased slowly and steadily. The frog is free to jump out effortlessly, but it does not. As the water begins to rise in temperature, the frog sits stationary while the steam curls around his nose. Soon, he begins to suffocate. The water boils, and he dies. By his followers validating Berg's position as a prophet through the faith and obedience, Berg believed in further that he was the elite. Through Berg creating God's new church, he was reborn as Moses David, away from the old church and his old marriage, and into the new Berg recruited the hippies from the 60s into his cult, a group of people who were already understanding with the rebellion cause, and Berg was able to assist them by offering them a cloak for their rebellion, working through, through working and serving Jesus full-time under the children of God. The cult started to believe that they could do whatever they wanted because they were serving Jesus. They believed they transcended above morals and the law. As Berg began preaching more and more about how the cult was able to do as they pleased, when they pleased, as long as they said it was in the name of God, their sensitivity to sin grew weaker. David Berg created these Mo letters using his Elias of Moses David. He published more than 3,000 writings and transcriptions by Berg. Often recorded by Karen Davis, uh, Karen Davis. Sorry, Karen Zerby. <laughs> they were distri- They were distributed amongst the members of the Children of God, and were not to be shared with outsiders, or they risked, or the members risked excommunication. Berg would again use the Bible to justify his twisted ideas, to prove his beliefs to be fact. His writings usually had a similar theme in common, free love and free sex. He enforced the belief that his words are on par with the Bible. The Mo letters were and still are God's words for today and it supersedes anything else that has ever been given if it is different. After the prophecy of the old church, new church, the cult traveled around several states, performing vigils where they would stand in silence with hand-lettered Bible verses such as "The wicked shall be turned to hell, and all the nations that forget God, and "The nation and the king and kingdom that will not serve thee shall perish. Yea, those nations will be utterly wasted." They performed these vigils under Berg's instruction due to him prophesying the downfall of America and the West due to their non-belief in the God that Berg believed in. Berg taught his followers that following Christian beliefs was not the way to rebel, but instead they must rebel with anarchy, with resistance to authority, that they were supposed to rebel against authority whenever it suited their purposes, as long as they acted in the name of Jesus. Their actions were true and pure. The Children of God ended up in Houston, where they camped in numerous parks, moving from place to place, gaining new converts. Whilst in Houston, Berg visited a campsite belonging to what Deborah Davis refers to as gypsies. Now, I am aware this terminology is not correct and may be offences. However, the sources I use only referred to this group in this name. So I am not aware um, or and I do not wish to assume if they are Romani gypsies um, or not. Um, Again, I'm not very um, educated on um, whether this is offensive or not. If it is, I'm always open to learn, so please let me know. Um, David Berg entered their camp and claimed to experience a miraculous event, one he would keep for a secret for a while and then reveal in a few months after its occurrence. By the end of January 1970, the children of God had run out of places to camp. So Berg flew out to California and begged Fred Jordan for a ranch he owned that was then abandoned in West Texas. The cult moved into this ranch, however upon arrival they noticed it had no electricity, no water, a leaking roof and was basically completely broken down. The cult stayed, however, and began restoration work. Their life became highly regulated, following a strict timeline with every hour accounted for. Followers were never at a standstill. They were either studying, teaching, working or sleeping. Berg created a buddy system whereby newcomers would be paired with someone for around three months until they were able to be on their own. People were told to take new names, which they would receive from the Bible, They had to break all connections with their former life because Berg told them that it was what Jesus wanted. The cult began to be self-sufficient to the point where they would produce their own food. They had rejected all outer society, created their own rules, own social standards and their own world effectively. Around 1970, Berg claimed that he had received the gifts of tongues whilst laying in his bed between his two wives, Martha and Karen, it was around this time he revealed the miraculous event that had occurred in the gypsy camp, and he had found out that Abraham was his spirit guide, and it had been Abraham who was speaking to Berg through tongues. Berg called a meeting in his motor home that claimed he could not um and claimed he could not speak English for three days after receiving his gift of tongues. The only person who could interpret him and translate the language he was speaking was Karen Zerby. Deborah Davis believes now that these gifts given to Berg were not from God, but were actually a result of Berg being under demonic influence. Um, Berg wrote in his Mo letters about how he had sexual experiences with spirits and goddesses in which he writes how he had made love to these spirits or goddesses um, and that the one he was making love to would suddenly turn into these strange and beautiful goddesses and he would explode in an orgasm of tremendous spiritual power all the while prophesying I can't say that word. (laughs) Prophesying violently in tongues. Berg's use of sexual spiritism began creeping into the daily life of the children of God. Deborah Davis believes that her father, David Berg, was now fully born into the demonic side of spirituality, surrendering his life onto the devil and veering further and further away from Jesus, God and the teachings in the Bible. Berg, who once was so proud of Jewish blood in his family heritage, had now switched and turned against the Jewish. He was furthering himself into demonic possession. David Berg at this point had turned the Teens of Christ into a fully-fledged cult member's Sorry, David Berg had at this point turned the teens of Christ into fully fledged cult members of the children of God. And there was virtually no one who could stop him. He had power over men, women and children. These people joined to commit their lives to Jesus and instead they were suffering from spiritual mind control. They were submitting their mind, body and soul to David Berg. By 1971, the Children of God had around 2,000 members, and it was only continuing to grow. Berg had nicknamed his closest prophets and members the Royal Family, in which Berg had four women as his wives, one of which had lost her original husband in a motorcycle accident, from which he fell into a coma and never woke up. It was then that Berg introduced this idea of sexual sharing. He wrote how life is nothing without love, but his idea was love, was love of love was so twisted and only benefited him. He said that the women had to say yes, and if they refused sex from anyone, they were failing in the eyes of God. He used the Bible to fuel his sexual desires. He said if you were living totally within the love of Christ, you would understand that we can freely share with one another, that there are no boundaries, not even sexual ones. He used the idea of people being one body, mind and soul, incorporating the idea of the collective conscious to manipulate those who followed him. For the time being, this was just within the royal family, Um, and he soon invited the major leaders and their wives into this rule of sharing. He told those he manipulated with the idea of sharing that they must keep it with themselves, It was only for those who were mature in faith and not the newcomers. Berg took another wife named Rachel, whom he had previously set up with a man named Samson. Rachel had had a baby with Samson, and Berg told her to leave the baby behind in Texas whilst he took her and Karen to Oklahoma. Uh, Berg didn't believe that children could actually be harmed psychologically. He had no care. He only cared about his egotistical desires. Um, by 1972, Berg began to shift the movement of the Children of God cult. He warned his followers that the destruction of America of America as a nation was fast approaching. Many of the cult members fled America to South America and the UK. Um, David Berg had already led, left for England at this point. And the US government had word of the children of God as well, um, hence Berg's need to flee. He was scared of the authorities of the US government and what they would do to him and his cult if, he, if they got their hands on him or them. Uh, for example, in 1974, the Eternal General of the State of New York issued a report full of the claims made against the children of God activities, There were reports of sexual promiscuity that had begun to come to light around 1971 on um, a first Tuesday program where the producer, Bob Rogers, who would later interview Hosea, who was Deborah Davis's brother. um, And Rogers would question Hosea about Berg um, and Hosea denied any sexual assault allegations made against him. Uh, made against Berg. He lied due to the cult and Berg having indoctrinated him into covering the truth because other people wouldn't understand their belief system. There was a documentary named Chronologue, which aimed to force uh, Children of God uh, members out of the States. Uh, Berg had already left at this point and wrote one of his Mo letters named The Great Escape where he said that his followers should escape to the ripe and open mission fields of the third world, where there is more hope, more time and much more freedom. Now the US had been conquered, the children of God moved to Europe and the rest of the world to conquer other countries too. Many people fled to Bromley in England, where the disciples were sent around England um, When the disciples were sent around England, France, Spain, Germany, Italy and Switzerland. Many also moved to Puerto Rico, Mexico, Brazil, Hawaii, Australia and New Zealand. In 1972, people also moved to India. By late 1973, the Children of God had roughly 200 colonies through about 50 countries. So this cult was spread worldwide. It was huge. Okay. Okay. On February 18th, 1973, Berg's birthday, he came to a revelation that his Mo letters should be published to the whole world to help the cult grow throughout the world. During 1972, three million pieces of literature were published. In 1973, the skyrocketed to 19 million and then to 55 million in 1974 and 68 million in 1976. Members of the cult were told to go out on the streets and get people to buy a piece of the literature. Soon the cult began to raise a lot of money uh, with the example of one man selling his house to move move in to live with the cult, um, giving the children of God $75,000. A lot of the time in this cult, they would have uh, family houses where um, lots of members of the cult would live all under one big house. Um, You know, lots of families would live in the same houses together, um, and they would sort of live in a more community sense. Um, As the economic status of the cult began to rise, so did the level of Mo Letters David Berg was writing. However, they did start to take on a more evil, sexual tone. So within these mo letters, Berg revealed that he had actually been sexually abused as a child himself. He wrote a letter named My Childhood Sex, whereby he explained in detail the time his nanny performed oral sex on him as a toddler. He said that, um, I told you about my Mexican babysitter when I was three. She used to suck me to sleep for my nap every afternoon. I loved it. I had orgasms and enjoyed it. He wrote how his biggest regret was that he did not get to sleep with his mother in a moletter called Sex with Grandmother. He wrote that she needed it, I needed it, but we were both too strict in our perverted religious thinking and misinterpretation of the Bible. Berg believed in this law of love doctrine whereby one can do almost anything sexually as long as they claim it is done in love. Uh, This included having sex with someone else's husband, wife, as well as sex with children, including their own. Before this, Berg had repeatedly raped and abused his children, with Deborah saying that her father first pressured me to have sex with him, when I was eight years old in Texas. She said that I resisted but was raped nonetheless. Faith, Deborah's little sister and Berg's youngest daughter, also experienced abuse. She wrote a poem called Faithy's Reaction to Childhood Sex, where she said said her father would put her to sleep when I was a little girl, three or four, Daddy just made me feel good all over. I believe our parents should try it and help our kids to get the natural habit. Not only had Faith been abused as a young child, but Berg had brainwashed her so heavily she was trying to convince parents to do it to their children too. Deborah's eldest daughter, Joanne Treadwell, stated Berg, her grandfather sexually abused her also. Mary Berg, who was another granddaughter of Berg's, went to go and live with Berg from ages 12 to 16 in 1983. Berg began to request that Mary should share sexually with men, including her stepfather. Previous to this Berg made her masturbate with him when she was only seven years old. Berg claimed that the system would deny children the fun of sexual play with their parents and other children, and in another mo letter, he wrote how the devil hates sex, where he stated he doesn't know what the hell age has got to do with sex. He said there was nothing wrong in the world at all with sex. As long as it is practised in love, whatever it is or whoever it's with, no matter who or what age or what relative or what matters. He said there are no relationship restrictions or age limitations in his law of love. Many members of the cult would um, would write to Berg asking them about incest with one father writing to Berg saying his five-year-old boy is very sexy and how he cannot even hug his mother without getting a hard-on. Berg wrote back saying, What's wrong with it? It's perfectly natural. What better person to learn about sex from than his dear mother? The majority of answers Berg gave surrounding the questions his cult members had on the law of love were that because they have God in control and on their side, that there was nothing to worry about. In 1985, there was a directive published to stop all sexual contact of adults with minors 14 and under. However, this did not put an end to father-daughter sex incest if the girl was 15 or over. Incest was resigned as a practice in around 1986 to 87. In 1986, the sex of adults with minors under 18 was restricted and in 1987, these rules became tighter. On April 1st, 1987, the group held a press conference where Faith Berg's daughter spoke and denied their promotion of incest. She said the accusation that we advocate incest is an absolute lie we have never taught or practiced incest and there is not one shred of evidence or piece of literature to substantiate this fiendishly false charge however their claims are clearly false um there are many um pieces of writing these mo letters that you can access online um if you do go looking i'd just be really careful um the quotes that I have put in are from very long pieces of literature. There's a lot of deeply disturbing stuff out there. Um, and it really does take a toll on you emotionally when you're reading into this stuff. I mean, how could it not? Um, it's disgusting. Um, so there is there are plenty of pieces of literature... To support these claims, um, just be careful if you decide to go looking. You don't know what you might find. Karen Zerby was also involved in acts of incest. She played a central and enthusiastic role in the abuse of young members, such as her son Ricky Rodriguez. So Ricky was the result of a sexual experiment whilst Karen Zerby was, was doing what is referred to as flirty fishing. Berg adopted Ricky into his family and became and um let him or made him become a prince. Ricky was raised by a female group along with another baby girl. Davida Ricky was often named Davidito Davida and Ricky became Berg's playthings he wanted them to be the next leaders and marry each other when they became of a certain age at five years old Davida became Berg's queen both Davida and Ricky slept in Berg's bed, where they were both molested without penetration up until the age of 12 years old. However, Ricky had experienced full intercourse with adult women, and these women would also um, give children, give their children and other children to men. Ricky sadly committed suicide after murdering a woman who had sexually abused him. He filmed a video where he explained what he had planned to do, in which he saw himself as a vigilante who was avenging children like him and his sisters who had been subjected to rapes and beatings. Young girls were expected to submit their bodies to anyone who wanted to have sexual relations with them. It was seen as disobedient against God and David Berg, It was seen as them having a lack of spirituality and being rebellious against the Children of God cult. This is spiritual control and manipulation that David Berg used to fill his disgusting, twisted, incestuous fantasies that included and were not limited to statutory rape. Rape of which he never served a single day of his life in prison. Berg openly pushed sex among little children. In his Mo letter, Child Brides, he wrote about how he thought the teenage years were when children needed sex the most because he thought that the Lord was in favour of marriage at 12 or 13 because that's when people can have children through periods starting, you know? Um he said in his mo letters why did the lord make you able to have children at the age of 11 12 and 13 if you weren't supposed to have sex then Berg created sex schedules for adults teenagers and children sex amongst minors was in full force until around 1988 where it seemingly stopped but not fully Berg began to change his tone, claiming he did not promote sex with minors, but instead he was in favour of encouraging teenage marriages. Which, you know, isn't any better. It doesn't really discredit anything, and it's still disgusting. Whilst all of this was occurring within the cult, David Berg was still looking for recruits. Around 1974, Berg created a program for the female members of the cults, called "flirty fishing," which I have mentioned a few times before. Um, Berg created this program for the female members of the cults, and it was in essence a religious prostitution, as Deborah Davis called it. The female members would go to bars and clubs and use sexual attraction and intercourse to win over new converts. Female members were called God's whores and hookers for Jesus. Flirty fishing was used to raise donations for the cult, essentially making these women prostitutes. This resulted in many of what is called the second generation or Jesus babies such as Ricky. Nearly half a million people were converted into joining the Children of God due to flirty fishing. At one point, when Berg was in Tenerife, he was aware of 25 women who were working to convert men there. Deborah Davis noted that there were around 500 mo letters that included flirty fishing, and the Children of God had slowly become a worldwide prostitution network. Whilst in Tenerife, Berg required girls to participate from two to five nights a week in flirty fishing. Berg said that just as Jesus had laid down his life, so must women lay down their lives for the men they were trying to recruit. One Peruvian girl who took part in flirty fishing said, It was just so bad going out every night. I had to drink at least half a bottle of bourbon to go out there. Most of the time they had to carry me out of the clubs. Berg in his mo' letters wrote how women were God's free love gift, even if they nail you to the bed there are reports of women dying from cervical cancer whilst flirty fishing people had urinary, ur, urinary tract infections and people were getting yeast infections another girl ended up with such bad stds that she ended up having with having with her womb having scar tissues and she was actually made infertile according to um Acheik, I don't really know how to say this name, Um, A-C-H-E-I-C-K Acheik, who um, was an ex-member of the Children of God cult who spoke out. Berg decided to leave Tenerife in 1984, just narrowly missing the police who closed the borders and tried to get him. Unfortunately, they closed the borders just after he had left. but one of the most disturbing things about this is that the FBI had known about Berg. They knew about him. Um, they were aware. You know, like I had said before, um, the the U.S. government were aware of Berg. They knew about him. They knew about the Children of God from early on, and yet they never did anything. They were aware of what was going on, the sexual misconduct, the sexual um, you know, assault that was occurring um, on women, teenagers and children. They were aware. Berg was publishing his writings, he was publishing his thoughts and his belief systems. And he was, in essence, giving his followers, who were so blindly devoted to him because of his manipulation tactics he was giving them the tools to say yes go and sexually assault children go and sexually assault your wives your daughters your daughters' daughters your friends go and you, you know that and the fbi and the police the people who are meant to protect society protect people they knew this was happening and they didn't do anything you know it's disgusting After Berg's time in Tenerife, he used videos to contact the members of his cults, making the Children of God one of the original camcorder cults. In 1987, flirty fishing was discontinued due to the AIDS crisis. However, the Children of God stated that although they were stopping flirty fishing, the logic and reasoning behind the act was sound. During this time in 1983, the Children of God made the change in calling themselves The Family. Um, I'm going to focus on the Padilla family for the next little portion of the podcast. This was from a uh, Netflix documentary. Uh, It wasn't made by Netflix, but it's on Netflix. Um, And I think it's just called The Children of God. And it follows one specific family, um, the Padilla family. So uh, Sylvia Padilla, um, or Sylvia Gordon, I had written down, but I think her name is Sylvia Padilla, um, was a part of the missionary program in Costa Rica, and was there to spread the word of Jesus. Within the Children of God cult, Sylvia had five children, um, on top of the two she had already had before she joined the cult. Her family claimed that within the cult there were rules for everything, from how much coffee you should drink to how you're supposed to dress and do your makeup. Everything was controlled under David Berg's rules. Berg told his followers that reading books was considered time-wasting. That he owned the. He wanted the only information the cult members had access to, to come from him. He was controlling their minds. People were also uh, also encouraged to not take medicine. So one of Sylvia's daughters, Shuli, she had lupus as a child and into her teen years. Uh, Shuli actually wrote to Berg because her father had told her it was wrong for Shuli to read books, even though she enjoyed it, Um, and her mother, Sylvia, had said it was okay, she felt conflicted. So she wrote to Berg, and in response Berg wrote about shuli in one of his letters, claiming that her lupus was there because she was disobedient for reading. shuli and her family were led to believe that God was punishing her and inflicting this illness on her as a punishment for reading. shuli stopped taking her medicine because she was forced into feeling guilty for taking it and Shuli died at age 17. Berg continued his disgusting ways and wrote about Shuli in his Mo letters, claiming he had a dream about her in which he saw her in heaven and had sex with her. The Padilla family talked about how there were strip dance parties within the cult and how children were forced into participating. Sylvia's daughters, Miriam and Victoria, who were 14 and 13 at the time, were forced into doing strip teasers. Berg claimed that it was okay for this to happen. He said it was okay for children to have sexual conduct. Uh, Sorry, he said it was okay to have sexual conduct, conduct with children. There were even video recordings of children that um, were in some of the documentaries that I watched, you know, not, nothing nothing too vivid, thank God, um, and the faces were blurred in one of them, in one of them that it wasn't, and I felt too uncomfortable to continue watching that video, I felt like it was in bad taste, I felt like those are children, their, their faces should be blurred, you know, it made me feel so disgusting that I couldn't watch the end of it, um it it disturbed me deeply that I understood that this documentary was something that's there to inform and educate people, but at the same time we should also be upholding the protection of these children. They've already been exploited enough, we, we shouldn't exploit them further, you know? Um, but there were these videos found of children who look as young as six being filmed doing strip teasers. Um, there were videos found of sexual of sexual intercourse, masturbation and young girls dancing. Um, one video saw a 12-year-old daughter copy her mother and a 4-year-old daughter following the mother and the other daughter. Um, people had stated that these strip teasers were not filmed for sex, but were done for Berg's sexual gratification. Um, This has come from um, a court case, a uh, a justice um, had stated this, Um, I can't remember the name, but this was um, some of the information that was in a court case, I think, um, with information that people had against David Berg. Furthermore, Victoria, who was... One of um, Sylvia Padilla's daughters experienced sexual assault at the age of seven. Debbie, another one of Sylvia's daughters, had experienced sexual assault at age nine. Debbie was abused for three years. And by the time she was 15, she had to share with the leaders of the cult, causing her to become pregnant at the age of 18 with men who were probably in their 30s, 40s even, 50s even maybe even older, you know? Um, And she had a second child only a few years later. The Padilla family said the only contact that they had through Berg was through the Mo letters, and everything they were taught through them... Everything that they were taught was was through them. They were told that the outside world was doomed and there was no need to study or have a career because the world was going to end in the year of 1993. A member of the family spoke out about the Padilla family after they left the cult. Uh, it was a man named Solomon. It's his, uh, his interview with, um, I think they he did an interview with the um, documentary makers of the documentary on Netflix, which I mentioned earlier, in which um, he said how the Padillas weren't living in the mainstream of the family Um Despite Berg writing about Shuli and their family in the Mo letters, Solomon also stated that if two consenting adults, male and female, were wanting a relationship, it was up to them, and that the family had never pushed sexual sharing. Solomon stated that flirty fishing was never synonymous with sex, and it was just a means of reaching out to others to spread the word of Jesus. Solomon claimed that the family had never produced porn, despite the video strip teasers, and the children of God didn't either. He claimed the children of God and the family don't believe in nor create pornography. He said that the videos were there to help children and others. David Berg died on October 1st, 1944, a year after he predicted the end of the world. His wife, Karen Zerbe, remarried and continues to lead the Family International who now claims to be an online Christian network of individuals who operate in nearly 80 countries. On their website, they say they strive to share a message of faith and hope for all nations And do so because love is God's solution to the problems the world faces, even in the complex and challenging world we live in today. The cult that at one point had 15,000 members only has uh, 1,700 today. On their website, they have links that allow you to access a select few of the mo letters and there is little information accessible about them. The Children of God birthed famous people, such as River Phoenix, Joaquin Phoenix, and Rose McGowan, all of which left during their childhood. Rose McGowan has said that they were under the thumb of men and their family luckily escaped when they found out children were getting abused. I do believe um, that River Phoenix was um, sexually assaulted and um, I didn't look into the celebrities as much, um, as I know, people are aware of their history a lot more, but I do believe either River Phoenix or Rakeem Phoenix were stated to have had their first sexual experience at the age of three or four, um, yeah, so I just quickly researched, um, And, um, Joaquin Phoenix, um, said in an interview that he was sexually abused when he was four years old inside this cult. Um, but he never really discussed it, um, River Phoenix. Um, and he unfortunately died, um, when he was, when he was young, um, in 1993, um, he died, um, sadly, and his mother had said that they're disgusting and that the cults are ruining people's lives. Um, um, and on top of that, a former member, Christina Babin, spoke out against the Children of God, saying there was strict structure over their daily life, but there was no time for school um, but everyone was educated up until the sixth grade. People were trafficked and members had their passports held whilst they were prostituted and trafficked across the world. Christina Babin has stated that the FBI was informed of what was going on. However, because it happened overseas, there was nothing they could do. Followers of the cult are now allowed to live in their own private homes instead of the shared family homes that um, and are allowed to work outside of the cult and in 2009 the leadership of the cult announced that they had no longer believed that the end of the world um is to be near there is very very little information on um what the cult do now whether there are many members that meet in person um they are mostly meant to be an online organization an online cult now um David Berg is a monstrous man, a disgusting human being, despicable, um, and I find it thoroughly disgraceful that the FBI and the police were aware of, um, well, maybe not the police, you know, but definitely, no, I think I think the police were involved. I mean, um, authorities were definitely involved, whether that be local police or state police whatever, um, don't trust the police, right, um, <laughs> um, no, but we don't trust the police at all, um, especially not in America, um, and it is disgusting that the FBI and the people who are supposed to protect were aware of this going on, and they did very little to stop it, you know, Christina Babin herself, um, said that, Um, The FBI said because it was out of the country, or, um, you know, because they didn't have any proof of it occurring in America, that there was nothing they could do. You know? Um, It truly is disgusting. Um, And it kind of makes you wonder, what else do the FBI know? We know that the FBI are aware of a lot of um, child sex slavery. Epstein, you know, these Hillary Clinton emails, if you haven't educated yourself on it, educate yourself on it. Go and search up Pizzagate, go up search up Pedogate on YouTube, you can find some really informational stuff, stuff I need to actually listen to myself, um... Um, but yeah, this this cult is disgusting, um, this all stemmed from a random documentary, the Co- Children of God documentary, I just started watching on Netflix, and I was quickly just disgusted in it, and I felt like it needed to be talked about, Um, And it needed to be spoken about. Over the next few weeks or months, I'm going to be researching into three or four cults. I've got three in mind so far. The next one I will be focusing on is Scientology. Um, And then um, I'm thinking of doing the Nation of Yahweh um, and I'm thinking about doing one more cult, um, and then at the end I want to sort of discuss about any, any similarities we note between, um, the leaders, any similarities we note in their upbringing, um, any similarities that we can see in what they believe in and how they use their power, um, And I want to see if there's any similarities in the authorities of the countries where these cults originate or these cults are based, um, knowing about them and whether or not they do anything and whether or not that there is need for reform, which I think we all know that there is. (laughs) Um, I also want to have a look at how these cults can be portrayed in wider society. You know, whether or not um we have any cults that we don't consider cults you know things that are so ingrained within our society that if somebody were to say that law is wrong or that way of thinking is wrong or messed up or all of these people that you idolize are actually really really fucked up and do really fucked up shit because i guarantee you a lot of them do Um, (laughs) you know, just go and look at Jeffrey Epstein's list, you'll see names that you recognise on there. It's crazy, shit's crazy. Um, and yeah, I'm just wanting to expose and really look into how all of these things that we class as evil in these cults are still very prevalent in our society. And I think it's important. I think it's important to look at that. Um, we don't know what's going on with the children of God called or the family international as they were now, as they are now. But we do know that hundreds of children were sexually abused. Hundreds of women were sexually abused. Hundreds of men were sexually manipulated, maybe even hundreds of men were sexually abused. There's less talk of men being sexually abused because within the cult they did not believe in... um, They believed that male on female sex was the only natural sex. And it didn't matter what age, um, due to their belief that sex um, or David Berg preaching that the reason why you can have sex so young is because that's when you can start conceiving children which is just disgusting it's just disgusting Um, he has no regard for human life I don't think he had any regard for his own life Um, if anyone's interested in the astrology of it I'd be really interested to talk about that he was an, an Aquarius sun with a libra moon i've actually got his birth chart um i can't really read birth charts very well um but he was an aquarius sun he was um a libra moon aquarius mercury a pisces venus a pisces mars a cancer jupiter leo saturn Aquarius Uranus, Leo Neptune, Cancer Pluto, True node Sagittarius and Chiron Aries um cannot find um the time so I don't have the ascendant sign but I did think it was um very interesting that he was an Aquarius and a Libra um Aquarius Sun Libra Moon um I, I sort of I sort of thought that the um manipulation in terms of um being someone who was very persuasive he was noted to be very persuasive um in his speech and in the way that he could control people which is clear as he had so much control i do think that those placements are very interesting however i don't know enough about astrology to really base any facts off of it and i don't want to start um bringing astrology into it when I don't have all the facts um but yeah that's the children of god cult it's disgusting it's disgusting it really is but I think it's important that although these things are so disgusting and although these things are so um like taboo they're important to talk about because they are happening in our society You know, they're happening, whether we like it or not. And it's so important that we educate ourselves on this because then we can try and stop it. Once we know about it, we know about it. The cat's out the bag. You know, then we can try and stop it and then we can hold people accountable. Unfortunately, David Berg can never be held accountable for his actions. He's just dead. He just died. He never faced jail time. He never faced the consequences. He got to live his life out with these perversive, um, perverted, sexual, disgusting sexual fantasies where he could rape his daughters, where he could sexually abuse his granddaughters, his grandchildren, you know? Um, And nobody stopped him. Nobody once tried to stop him. These things happen. Trump, he raped a 12-year-old and a 13-year-old and went to trial over it okay these things happen everywhere and it's so important that we educate ourselves that these things aren't new these things these things have been going on for years and the fbi have known about it governments have known about it it's within your own goddamn government it's within the uk government oh my god of course it is prince andrew is within the fucking royal family in the uk These things are everywhere, and if we don't start educating ourselves on them, if we don't start bringing them up, if we don't start having these difficult conversations, which I know are so difficult, and I know make us feel really dirty, but if we don't start fucking talking about them, we can never finish them. We can never try and solve them. We can never try and save these children that are being innocently... not innocently abused, that are innocent and that are being abused, This is something I feel very very strongly about and something that I don't know enough about, that I am learning about, but it is so difficult to learn about because once you start, it is so horrific to find out what is going on. It is so horrific to find out that children are being stolen, children are being sold, children are being sexually abused daily, abused generally daily. And there's barely anything that we we do about it as a society. We hear about it and we go, oh, that's so sad. (laughs) But the fuck do we do about it, man? It still fucking happens. And that's what I think I want to change. And that's what I think about talking about this stuff does change. So um, I understand this podcast hasn't been fun and I understand this podcast hasn't been easy to listen to but sometimes life isn't fun and life isn't easy to listen to and I think it's important that we honour the memory of those who were hurt by this disgusting man and we speak out and we say that he is disgusting and we say that we are sorry that this this slipped through and that the fucking government never did anything about it and I think it's important that if we find the names of those people we say their names like Shuli she died at 17 because David Berg said that she that she wasn't supposed to take medicine because God gave her this disease that killed her because she read a fucking book how disgusting is that So yeah, the next cult we will be looking at is Scientology. I don't have a date for you, but it will be end of June, beginning of July when um it comes out, most, most likely, given with how long this one took me, and I know there's a lot more information that I can find on the Children of Cult, of the Children of Cult, oh my goodness, I'm tired, <laughs> on the Scientology Cult. Um... Because um, it's still going on, you know, there's still information that could be getting published. Whereas a lot of the Children of God cult stuff, um, a lot of the Mo letters you can't find, um, a lot of the um, information has sort of um, been redacted and forgotten sadly. A lot of it is out there if you look hard enough and if you read for long enough, but a lot of of it has been forgotten. Um, So yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. I'm sorry that this wasn't more cheery. Um, I just think it's important that we come to the realities of the world that we live in, which isn't always love and light. (laughs) Thank you guys so much for supporting. And I will see you next time on an episode of the Indigo Kingdom. Thank you. Have an amazing week, day, night, evening, morning, afternoon, whatever time it is for you. Love you. Bye.